Hey, last week we began a, a new series, and that series is on prayer. And we've been uh, parked in John chapter 17. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to see a way that Jesus prayed. And I shared with you last week that, that sometimes we think that the Lord's Prayer is the one that we learn in Matthew chapter 6, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's really the disciples' prayer, because Jesus taught the disciples to pray that, and we know that's not a prayer that Jesus prayed. But what Jesus prayed is in John 17. So, I, so this is where I believe is the true Lord's Prayer. Uh, so if you've got a chance, um, open your Bible, take your electronic device, go to John chapter 17, find a translation that works well for you, uh, one that you can understand, and uh, let's continue this journey. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 5, and we really could summarize it into glory. And um, we learned it last week that, that basically Jesus asked the Father to give him glory so that the Father could be glorified. And we put it, I put it to you this way, that, that basically Jesus was saying, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. And all of that, God the Father, make sure that all that I do and what happens in my life, that your glory is shown. And I shared with you that a portion of that glory resides in you and me, and we are to bring glory to God's world every day. Well, I'm going to uh, take us now to uh, verses 6 through 19, and I'm going to do a little bit of a uh, verse-by-verse teaching today just to kind of help us to, to uh, think this through. But to get our mind kind of around this for a second, imagine Jesus is going to the cross, all the things that must be on his mind, but you know what? The one thing that was on his mind was this prayer, and the purpose of this prayer was because he had you and me on his mind. He had us in his heart. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. But more importantly, Jesus was asking for two things. He was asking for we who are believers to be unified, and he was asking for us to enter into a presence of holiness. And I'm going to share with you in verses 6 through 19, as Jesus prays for the disciples, what that means for you and me. So let's, let's go ahead and, and begin with verses 6 through 8. Jesus is speaking. Remember, John recorded this prayer some 60 years after Jesus actually spoke it. So just think about the power of those words that were in John's mind that some 60 years later he remembered it and he was able to record it. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, he's speaking to the Father, I've, I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and, and they have obeyed your word. Uh, now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Now, this is an interesting snapshot because Jesus is actually trying to say something to the effect that the apostles, the disciples, this inner core, this group of people that, that had been given to him were faithful. Now, you and I know, we know the end of the story, and we know that there's so much about their lives to where they weren't really always faithful, but Jesus is giving them the benefit of the doubt, and as he's praying to the Father, he's saying that they have kept the faith. They know who I am. They know I'm the Messiah. They know I'm the anointed one, the one who will bring salvation to the world. But yet, as we take a look at these disciples, we find out they're, they're anything but that, aren't they? I mean, Peter. Peter is, um, he's kind of like a, a leader of the group. He's, he's rough around the edges. And last week I described him as a, a bull in the china shop. But one of the things that he said to Jesus was that no one will ever harm you. I'll give my own life before I let anyone touch you and harm you. And Jesus said, Peter, 
I know that you're saying that, but, but dude, you're going you're gonna to deny me. You're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times before all this comes to be. So Peter lets Jesus down. Then there's Philip. I mean, you know, Philip, Philip has been walking with Jesus on this journey too. And, and Philip keeps saying to Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? When are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus, I, I, could just, I could just, you know, see Jesus looking at Philip and saying, Philip, when are you going to get it? When you see me, you've seen the Father. So quit asking to see the Father because I am he. And the question becomes that, that, you know, how are you and I dealing with this as disciples, as followers of Jesus? How are we? You know, some of us, we probably should take our faith life a little bit more seriously. We're not really living into what we hope to be. Others of us, we, we probably beat ourselves up a little bit more than we should. We're really hard on ourselves. Are, are you hard on yourself? Uh, do, you, do you, like, uh, give yourself, um, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, shame because you, you feel like you just let people down. You know, some people, we, we struggle with our faith and we, we think that, you know, I don't obey all the commandments or, or, or I have a sinful thought or I'm this or I'm that. And how could God love me? How could Jesus want to die for my sins? And you know what? We got to get out of that frame of mind. Because when Jesus prayed this prayer, and, and especially those verses six through eight, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. And he said, out of our imperfections, his perfection comes. And he makes good all that we're to become. Let's go on to some more verses. He says, I pray for them. He's praying for the disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you've given me, for they are yours. You know, it's important that, that Jesus loves all of us, but in this particular portion of this prayer, verses 6 through 19, he is specifically praying for the disciples. He's praying for the ones that have been entrusted to him. Verse 10, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. Now, this is kind of one of those verses that we have to be really careful that we understand. You know, their glory comes through, through me. My glory comes through them. Sometimes we, we get this wrong because we venerate our spiritual leaders. We, we elevate our pastors. We elevate our priests. We, we elevate the ones that, that are our shepherds. And we, we think that they don't make mistakes. And then that's why we're so heartbroken when, when they're human and they fall from grace. Jesus says, don't venerate man. Don't venerate humanity. Don't, don't build up the leader to that point. But put your trust in me. And that is the importance of what we see. In verse 11, he says, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. So, so he's imagining and envisioning that, that soon his death will come, and through the resurrection, he'll be back to uh, it with the Father, that, that the Godhead will be reattached, reconnected as one. And as he's praying this prayer, he's uttering his first request. And here's what he says, Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. You and I are called to be inseparable. We are called not to bring grievances against each other. We're called not to be in discord with each other. We are called to be at one. We are called to be in unity. We are called to be unified. And that is a huge part of what Jesus is praying over his disciples, that they would be unified, that they would be one, and that unity is so important. Verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. 
None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. You know, if we were to flip back into the Old Testament and go back to the book of Zechariah chapter 11, we would see that hundreds of years before Jesus came into the earth and before he gave his life as a ransom for all of us, that the prophet predicted that one would deceive and sell out the Messiah for 30 coins of silver, or 30 silver coins. I mean, look at the precision of what this prophecy said, hundreds of years before it happened. So we know that Jesus said, I've saved all of the apostles except the one, Judas, who will ultimately sell me out. Verse 13, I'm, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Listen, 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 listen. As Christians, we're to have joy in our life. And, and I always get um, exasperated. I get a little um, upset when I, when I see Christians who are supposed to have joy in their life. They walk around like they're sucking on a bunch of lemons. You know, guys, put that out, you know. Quit, quit going down that trail. You know, have joy in your heart. Remember, we've talked about that joy and happiness are not the same. There will be things that won't make you happy every day, but joy comes from God. And, and Jesus says that I have given my joy to them, so, so live into that, embrace that. Verse 14, he says, I've, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world nor, nor any more than I am of the world. So what does this mean? What does he mean by that, that they are not of the world as I'm not of the world? You know, so, so Jesus is the model of what life is to be. Uh, too often, what we do is we look at the world. We look at what, what this person's doing or what that person's doing, what brings them fame, what brings them fortune, and we get kind of tied up into the wiles of the world, and then we get let down because the world can't deliver. Jesus says we're not to be of the world. We're to be of him. And so we follow his life. So if we use the life of Jesus as our standard, we see the significance of what our life is to be. What did that life look like? Well, Jesus, he, he met with and ate with people that, that nobody wanted to be around. I mean, think about the person that, that there's no way and you know where, left field, that, that, that you would want to be with that person. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be with them. And we see story after story after story in the scriptures where Jesus is eating with and he's with what are called sinners, people whose lives are not perfect. In fact, what we learn from that is, is that because he showers them with grace, because he brings his love upon them, and because, because he lets them know that they're not cast out, but they are a part of God's plan, their lives become something new. So you and I, you know, the, the, the truth of Christianity, the, the, the love of, or the, the unity of the beloved community is that we're not supposed to live life alone. We're supposed to be out in the world, not of the world, but in the world so that the influence of Jesus Christ can be upon others. He goes on and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So protect them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it, but sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. So, so here's the, here's the uh, second request that Jesus has. First of all, let's bring unity. Now he's saying, sanctify your people. And he's using this word truth. Now listen, we, we live in a postmodern world. We, we live in a world that, that truth is often, we, we, is it truth or isn't it? I mean, what is truth? Isn't that what the question was that, 
Pilate asked Jesus when Jesus was before him, what is truth? And, and so sometimes we search for that. And, and we have to make sure that, that where we're seeking, where we're looking for truth, that we find it in the right place. And truth is objective. And the place where Jesus is leading us here is, is we find truth in God's word. So what God's word says is truth. And there is where we, where we find it. So he says that, that your word is truth, and I want that word to live into the hearts of the disciples. Verses 17 or 18 and 19. You sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now here's that, that huge word. This is, this is one of those what we call church words. Uh, the big T-I-O-N words like sanctification, justification, um, all of those kind of things. But what, what he's talking about is he's talking about that, that to be sanctified means that, that their life will reflect the life of Jesus. But more importantly, what he's talking about is, is he's using the word sanctify in the, in the terminology of a word called consecrate. So when he says sanctify them, he's saying consecrate them. And consecrate means to dedicate yourself for the purpose of something divine. So when Jesus is praying that the disciples and that you and I would be sanctified, he's saying, God, consecrate them so that they know that what they're about to do is of divine nature, that it's in compliance with what you're asking them to do. So consecrate. What is the divine purpose? It is to find truth and to share that truth with all. In fact, it's, it, it, it can be said this way, that if you and I truly are disciples of Jesus, we are sanctified and our lives are consecrated because our mission and our purpose is the same as Jesus. And that is to share the good news all across the world so that people know about the love of God. But things happen, don't they? Sometimes we, we question whether, whether we have the ability to do this or, or whether it's even part of our nature. And I want to I take us back to Numbers, a, a book in the Old Testament, um, and, and it's in the early part. And I want us to go to Numbers chapter 14, and, and let me just kind of paraphrase what's going on here. So, so here, God has been leading the people out of Egypt, out of captivity. He's been smoked by day and fired by night. He's been kind of their, their compass. He's been sending them forward. <clears throat> and he brings them up to the place of, of the promised land. And he brings them right to the threshold, right up to it. And he says, look at, look at the land. Look at this beautiful land that I have prepared for you. And the promise that I've given to you is that will be your land. Go on and take it. Go ahead, go on into it. In fact, don't, don't keep listening to what I'm saying. It's yours, take it. This is the blessing. This is exactly what I've said. But here's what happens. The people start looking around and, and they start doubting. Well, wait a minute. I, I, have you seen how big those people are in that land, Lord? They're like giants and we're like little bugs and they're just going to like squash us. And other people are going like, but we don't have the skills. We don't have the ability. We don't have the courage. to. I, we're not sure we can do it. Are you sure this is what you want us to do, Lord? And, and God looks at him and, and finally he's fed up. And he says, okay, here's the deal. You're never going to get into the promised land, but your kids will, but you won't. And the reason you won't get in there is because you won't trust me. You won't consecrate your life. You won't live into holiness. You won't be unified. You won't follow where I'm saying to go. And we know that that's what happens, isn't it? Except there's two guys, you know, Joseph, or Jacob, or excuse me, um, Joseph and, and Caleb. 
And, and, and here they are, Joshua and Caleb. I'm sorry, Joshua and Caleb. And there they are. And, and we learn something about Caleb. And God looks at Caleb and says, there's something about this guy that's going to change everything. And here's, here's what we find in Numbers 14, 24. God is speaking. Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. God saw in Caleb something of a quality. God saw Caleb to be holy. God saw Caleb to be sanctified, to be consecrated for the work of God and followed him no matter what. And, and so, so the question becomes for you and me, isn't that what we're supposed to be? You know, why would we want to be holy anyway? I mean, isn't it more fun to be unholy? Well, when we're holy, it changes us. But, but it doesn't stop there. It, it changes others because when people see us and they know us and they see that we're holy, guess what? That holiness moves into, onto them as well. So this is so important. You know, let's go back to verse 18. As, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So here's the sending piece that Jesus is talking about. In fact, the Latin word here is missio. So what do you think the English translation of missio is? What do you think it is? It's mission, right? So Jesus is sending us into mission into the world. And the question is, are we going to follow him? He's called us into a holy, divine service. He has sanctified us. He has consecrated us to go into the world in mission on his behalf. But, but here's, here's the question. Why would anybody want to listen to you? Why would they want to listen to me? I mean, what is it about us that would captivate anybody's attention at all? Here, here it is. What is it that attracted the disciples to Jesus? It wasn't that he had a cool Facebook page. It wasn't that he Instagrammed or, or used any of the, the modern things that we see. You know, it wasn't that he had a cool podcast. They followed Jesus because he was holy. And it was the holiness of Jesus Christ that captivated them. And it was that holiness that transcended into the disciples that made it contagious. You talk about COVID-19 being contagious. You know, this is the kind of flu we want to give people, right? We want to give them the love of Jesus Christ. We want to give them the gift of forgiveness. And there was a difference that was there. But I love it because when Jesus is praying this prayer, he kind of switches things up a little bit. He's not just praying for the disciples. He's praying now for the world. And he says the church, the world, the whole community is called, not just the individual, but the whole community is called to be holy and to be different. So the apostle Peter, Peter says this, Peter, Peter writes this, he says, you are the chosen race, say that word race, race, okay? So he says, you're the king priest, you are the holy nation, God's own people, chosen to proclaim the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into what? This marvelous light. We are called to be a race, a holy nation. We are called to be priestly people. We are called to be um, God's own people. So, so Peter says we're to be a holy nation. Now, is he talking about the United States of America no, 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 no. He's, he's talking about Christians. He says that, that it has nothing to do with geography of countries and boundaries about that country needs to be holy, that nation needs to be holy. No, no. When we become a Christian, we become a part of the Christian nation. 
And, and this is what he's talking about. And, and so th- this is something we're called into. But, but here's what we do, though. We kind of mess this up. You know, we, we start thinking about, you know, going to worship and, and, and we walk into a building or maybe you came to worship today and you're going like, man, I really hope that Allison and the band play all the songs that I like. I hope they don't do anything new. I, sh- I hope Pastor Bob, you know, tells us what we need to be told in three minutes or less. Ain't going to happen. Um, you know, any of those kind of things, you know, uh, uh, or, or man, I, I, I want the church to do this, this, and this because it's all about me. Let me tell you, if that's the way you're thinking, change it now. We don't go to church, we don't participate in worship because we want to get something out of it. It's not about the pastor didn't feed me today or anything like that. That's not biblical. What is biblical is we come to worship so that we give back to God. You see the difference? It's not about what what I'm getting, it's about what I'm giving back to God and how I'm expressing that in worship. And that's what Jesus is calling. When we become a race of individuals, when we become a race as a Christian nation, Things will change. In fact, when Peter uses the word race, specifically we get the English word ethnicity out of that. So he's saying that, that, that we are no longer ethnic groups that live in a world, but that we are part of the ethnicity, we are part of the race of Christianity. We are followers of, of Jesus. He says you are a chosen race. When you came to faith in Jesus, you took on a new ethnicity. And that ethnicity now is what uh, overwhelms you. That ethnicity is now what, what changes you. I mean, this is out-of-the-box thinking. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That because I follow Jesus, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a race, and, and I'm an ethnic group because I follow Jesus? You see, people for, since the beginning of the church, they want the church to be like a country club, or they want it to be a, a clique. You're in, you're out. you got to do this, or you can't get in. That's not at all what Jesus said we got to get that through our minds. And Peter is highlighting this here. He says, when you become a Christian, you forge a new humanity. You become a priestly believer. You become a new creation. You become something of God. And that's what Jesus prayed for. Unity and to be sanctified. Peter was saying that, that it's not until this new humanity is on display that we see the difference happen. So, so as you're thinking about this and as you're mulling these words through your mind, is that new humanity being present in you? Are you living into your ethnicity of being a race of Christians? Are you claiming what God has done in your life? You know, the Apostle Paul, he put it this way. He said, uh, there's no difference in Galatians. He says, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. There's no difference between slaves and free people. There's no difference between men and women. You're all one in union with Christ Jesus. Now, if you're living in the first century and you hear Paul say that or you read this letter to the church in Galatia and you're going like, dude, this is a male-dominated world. What are you talking about? There's no male or female. What do you mean there's no slaves? What do you mean we're all free? What do you mean Jew and Gentile? Dude, what's going on? And Paul is saying that a believing Jew is closer to a non-believing Gentile then they are a non-believing Jew. And Paul says all those things that we have that we put into place that, that bar us from each other, he dismantles everything that we think about. And this is radical. Just think about how radical this is. But what, what does it mean? You know, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. And he's saying that the Jewish believer um, is someone who, who can come to Christ 
and someone who can bring a non-believer. Antioch was a, was a place that, that, that was quite unique. In fact, um, it, uh, geographically, it was a place that, that, that gathered a diversity of, of different kinds of races, different kinds of beliefs. And what we know is, is there in Antioch, the Christians... They, they got along. They loved each other. They, they connected together. When we think about an Acts 2 ch- church, Antioch was it. And people would scratch their heads and they're going like, they're a bunch of different racial people. They're, they're diverse. What's the deal? Why are they getting along? And you know what? They couldn't coin a phrase. But then they started thinking about what, what is it about them? And they're, they're like, they follow Jesus. So they must be what? They're Christians. And that's where the term Christian came from. And the Christian church, the term was birthed in Antioch. And we see the huge significance that comes from there. When Jesus says that they be unified, that they exhibit holiness, he's talking about pursuing that. He says that the world shouldn't look at us and say, well, we see different things in you, so therefore you're different. He said the world should look at us and not see the difference. The world should look at us and and ask us, how do you do that? How do, you, how do you get to where you actually can be in unity with each other? How do, you, how do you love each other? And that's the question that comes out of this. And this is what really broke Paul's heart. When, he, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, Paul is, is sitting there and he's thinking about you know, all the problems that are happening in Corinth. I mean, they're getting drunk on communion wine. They're hauling each other in and out of court. They're suing each other before this judge and that judge. And Paul, is, his, his pastor's heart is just broken. And he's going like, guys, you don't get it. In fact, you are so far from getting this right that, that I don't even know where you are anymore. But you've got to change your ways. And, and here you are, you're, you're dragging your Christian brothers and sisters before a non-Christian judge. And you're looking at the judge going like, we can't get along. And what does that non-Christian judge have to think about a Christian? And Paul says, you better get it right, because right now, you're blowing it. And his heart was broken because of what happened. You know, know, sometimes we we, we look at it like, "Well, well, they offended me, okay? Well, you know what Paul would say? Then work through your offense and then let it go. Well, they don't like me and they did this to me. Paul would say, so what? What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. Move on. Bring unity. Bring sanctification or sanctify. Bring that into the combination here. You see, there's nothing better than biblical Christianity. We pray about it. We want that. That's what Jesus was praying about. And Jesus was saying, Lord, bring unity. Don't you want to be in unity with your brothers and sisters? And then he says, sanctify them. Let them be of the same mission and purpose that I am. The same mission and purpose that we're called to be. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. And see, the other thing is, he says that we need to be reminded that through all of this, God sees us. God knows who we are. God knows we're broken. God knows we make mistakes. God knows we fall far short, but just as Jesus prayed in verses six through eight, that the apostles, even though they were broken, he commended them and said they have faith. You and I have faith. Why? Because we are sons and daughters of God, and that's what is most important.